1: After years covering Staten Island's most high-profile cases, advance reporter Frank Donnelly is retiring, but not before sharing some of his most memorable experiences from throughout the years.
2: You have to ask questions. You have to develop sources, and, and over time, you know it helps. But it's like anything else. It's like baseball too. Sometimes you, you learn a new thing. You can be doing this for 20 years, and you, something comes up and you never even you didn't know about it and you learned something new. What
0: I can tell you about Frank is he is as professional a journalist as there is in New York City. When it came to covering courts, Frank was one of the finest reporters in the five boroughs, in any publication. When it comes to mastering the beat, uh, he spent every day in the courthouse chronicling the cases. He was always fair, most importantly. Uh, talk about journalistic integrity. Uh, he, he, he knew Everyone in the courthouse, he knew every case. He was really a master at uh, the court system.
1: Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by Staten Island Advance court reporter Frank Donnelly to discuss the ins and outs of courtroom reporting and some of the biggest cases he's covered during his tenure. Thanks for joining me today, Frank. It's nice to see you here in person with us. You know, even before COVID, I feel like you were probably one of the reporters that we saw least because you were always either in court or working out of the Borough Hall office instead of in kind of the traditional newsroom with everyone else. So uh, what's it like kind of being off on your own away from the rest of the staff most of the time?
2: We have that satellite office down at Borough Hall, which is a huge help. I couldn't, you couldn't do the job without that. But in a way the people down at the court you get used to dealing with them every day, so you see them every day. I mean, you're on your own a lot, but you you get used to it, you, and you, there are cases every day, and, and and you follow them. So you're always around people, uh, and, and I've had a couple colleagues actually uh, work down at Borough Hall for a while, too, when I was down there. Um, uh, Mira worked down there, and Rachel worked down there as well. So we had some people down there, but for the, for the most part, I wasn't alone. But you you get used to it. And you see people, like I said, when you go to court every day, you see people, so it's not like you're uh, isolated. Right, right. And like you said, you're always
0: busy because there's always work to be done in this beat, particularly, right? I've worked with Frank for for about 22 years here at at The Advance. He was uh, a reporter uh, when I was hired as an intern. Uh, And I I worked with Frank really closely since about 2014 uh, when I, I managed the breaking news team. And the court beat. And what I can tell you about Frank is he is as professional a journalist as there is in New York City. When it came to covering courts, Frank was one of the finest reporters in the five boroughs in any publication. When it comes to mastering the beat, he spent every day in the courthouse, chronicling the cases. He was always fair. Most importantly, talk about journalistic integrity. Uh, he, he he knew. Everyone in the courthouse, he knew every case. He was really a master at uh, the court system in terms of filings. I, I learned a lot from Frank. Uh, I learned everything from Frank is how to find where to go for the information that you need in order to be accurate and fair, the court filings. Uh, nobody knew that like Frank. Um, he was award-winning. He, he won awards before he worked with me, and certainly we've won awards together uh, for his coverage of the Court Beat. And he was always very accurate, very thorough. He was very old-fashioned in that sense. But when the events began shifting to SI Live and more digitally focused, what's cool about Frank, what I always appreciated is, is, even though that wasn't his area's comfort, Frank shifted that way as well whether it was telling stories piecemeal on SI life as they developed doing videos outside the courthouse Frank led live chats to, to sort of enhance his his court coverage with attorneys and and keep players in cases uh, so even though that wasn't Frank's comfort zone he shifted his game toward that way you know to, to, to sort of help us expand our audience and, and you know have uh, you know even hipper more thorough court coverage on that platform and that's something that's always pretty cool about frank uh he was always willing uh, to do whatever i asked him to do I, you know hey, hey frank why don't you take a video outside court i know it wasn't his favorite thing to do but he did it hey frank can you line somebody up for this court case uh, you know let's let's let our readers chat with them online and frank uh you know he would do it um so that that that's what's Pretty cool about Frank, and, and we're going to miss his professionalism and his integrity. Uh, you know, whenever I take on a new journalist on my team at the Advance, they always train with Frank. Uh, you know, so he, so in that way, he's passed on, you know, his ability and his expertise to to so many members of my team. That that was always part of our training process. Is you get to spend a couple of days with Frank at court you know, and, and see how he approaches that. So we're certainly going to miss Frank. He's deserves his his retirement and I, I hope he enjoys it, but uh, you know, we're certainly going to going to miss him here. And so before we dig into your reporting uh, from throughout
1: the years, I wanted to talk a little bit about yourself and how you got here. So I was curious, kind of, are you from Staten Island? Did you always want to be a reporter? Kind of what led you here to the advance?
2: I'm from Brooklyn, you know, and I'm, uh, what, what happened was, this is actually a second career for me. I, I, I went into journalism when I was almost 40 years old. I, w- I went to night school, journalism school, before I I, I, I got a job uh, in Pennsylvania in 96 in Pottstown. I was there for 19 months. Then I went to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania for about 26 months. And then I was hired here, in, uh, and I started here in early 2000. And before that, I had done insurance investigation. I worked for an independent investigator, doing insurance investigation. So I kind of had... A little bit of knowledge of the court system, uh, I, and so I became a reporter. And then when I came here, things just kind of happened over time. I, I was I was initially a general assignment reporter, mm-hmm. and then um, when John O'Brien, who's our court reporter, he uh, got called to serve in Iraq. Uh, you know, he, he's he's a lieutenant colonel in in, in the reserves. He uh, when I took over his beat for about not quite three years, and then. And then I that was off the beat and then I came back on the beat.
1: Wow. Yeah. And so so when you first started covering courts, what were kind of some of the first major cases that you remember? And what was it like covering it as someone who was kind of new to that beat? You kind of had to step in and fill in for somebody else.
2: Right. Um, well, uh, some of the first cases I covered, I, I wasn't specifically working the court beat at the time, but I was I, I guess I was helping out. I there was a murder trial. Elena Caliche, she it was, uh, it was on Toad Hill. Um, she was convicted of killing her husband, who was a Russian, who was a Russian oil magnate, and then, of course, in in uh, March of 2003, I, I I was at the arraignments for Ronell Wilson, who was um, killed the two uh, undercover officers, uh, James Nemeron and Rodney Andrews, during a, a gun buy. When I was actually on the beat, one of the one of the big cases I did was in um, 2004 was Andre Rand. This was a kidnapping case. He was convicted of kidnapping a young girl, Holly Ann Hughes, whose body was uh, never found. He, he kidnapped her in 1981, and they brought him to trial finally in 2004. Of course, there's no statute of limitations to bring a kidnapping case, because they had developed some uh, additional evidence, particularly a witness, who was a, a key, key piece in the case. So that was one of the big ones. That was prosecuted by a judge, now Judge Mario Matey. He was a, 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 a prosecutor at that time, and, and, and Janet Silvers, who's now his law assistant. That was a big one. And then um, Julie Hernkind uh, was convicted of manslaughter in the death of her three-year-old daughter, Selena. She um, was not convicted of murder, but convicted of manslaughter. This was a case where she and her husband had held the, the little girl. She was three years old. She'd soiled herself. They held her uh, under water in the bathtub, and she uh, asphyxiated. Wow. That's some, some heavy topics. and as someone who was kind of new to the,
1: to the beat, what's it like? Is it overwhelming you're getting thrown these cases of murder, manslaughter, kidnapping? What does it feel like to someone who's just kind of adjusting to that?
2: Well, I, I had you know I had done some court stuff before that in and out, so I, I had a, an idea what was going on. Um, mm-hmm. It's you know when you first get in and, and, and we covered things differently back in those days, we pretty much covered every criminal trial. So you'd really bounce around from courtroom to courtroom. Um, it's it, it can be overwhelming, I suppose it. Uh, you know. But it's like anything else; you get used to it. You figure out what which cases you really need to focus on, and which ones that you know you, you don't really have to really go full uh, full on at it. So um, it, 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 it's like anything else; it's a process, and you get used to it. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, we mentioned this earlier, because you aren't really in the office as much, you're either in the courtroom or in the Borough Hall office. I'm curious, kind of what does an average workday look like for you? Can you just kind of walk our listeners through a day in the life?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I go in uh, to, to Borough Hall, and then I'll go over to the courtroom. And, and I, I keep a list of cases, I keep a calendar every day, of cases that I'm following. It's basically by priority, you'll go to one, if, if this is your high priority for today, you'll go to the courtroom, wait for that case to be called. If that happens, then you may bounce to another courtroom, go to see what's happening there. So sometimes I'm bouncing around between four and five courtrooms on a given day. And then, uh, you know, at the end of the day, on, on the state court website, you can track uh, where the cases went, if you've missed something. So you can always uh, catch up if you need to. You know, some days are, it depends what's happening in court. Some days are busier than others, but it's uh, it's, 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 it's a pretty busy thing. Yeah. And you know, I was I'm curious because A couple of times
1: when you were either out on vacation or whatever it might be, there are still cases going on, right? And so people have to fill in and they have to go cover courts. And I know I've had to do this a couple of times. Some of our other reporters have. And the biggest difference for me was that, uh, you know, you're not allowed to record anything while you're in the courtrooms. It's all handwritten notes. And so as a younger reporter who has been kind of taught to record everything every time you're doing any interview. And so it was kind of, it was a big change for me. And it made things a little more stressful, making sure that you had everything right, considering... You know, these are some pretty high-stake stories. We don't want to get sued here. So, you know, what's it like having to report on on such these uh, these such serious stories using only kind of your notes and your memory?
2: Well, I, I never really used a, um, a tape recorder much. So even my phone interviews, I, I, I would really use a, a pad and pen. So you, you just you try to do the best you can. I mean, you know, you you, you you'll listen as well as you can. You, you, you write. You try to take as take as good notes as you can. You just do the best you can. You really have to concentrate. You have to pay attention. You have to you know what's going on. Um, you know, you can't. You, you just can't have your mind wander. You have to be engaged, and I, you get used to it after a while. That's not to say you're not going to miss something. You know, someone may say something. You don't catch exactly what they say. Well, if they, you don't catch it, then you can't. You know, you can't use it. Right. So you, you just try to do the best you can with, with what you have, and um, that's it usually works out fine.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, another thing that I find interesting about your beat is that, and you kind of touched on this already, you wind up covering some of these cases that, you know, take place over the course of several years. Right. The, the process can be long here. So, what's it like, you know, to have so much time in between updates at, at certain points? And, and how do you keep track of, of these ongoing cases to make sure you don't miss anything?
2: Well, again, the, the thing is, I, I, I keep a calendar, and, uh, and, and then the state court website has a calendar out. So, every day you can see, and, and the calendar, you can date, whatever, I can date to December 13th today, and I can see on any given judge's uh, docket what, what, what they have that day. So, I, I again, I keep a, a calendar, I, I write down, I follow the case, so at the end of the day, what happened, oh, it was adjourned to October 19th, so I put it October 19th on my calendar, I write the case, and uh, that's the best, that's the way I did it, it's, it, it, it's worked well. I mean, there are sometimes we, we won't write about a case for, if nothing's happening, because sometimes... These cases can take a long time with various motions of filed, decisions if they have pretrial hearings. Um, you know we don't necessarily cover all that, so you just keep an eye on the calendar, and then um, you know you, you'll go into court sometimes uh, at some point, and, and then you can find out what's going on. You can ask maybe one of the, the, the one of the attorneys, uh, "Where's it stand? Where's the case stand right now?" Just so you can get an idea of what's going on.
1: Yeah, and that actually kind of leads perfectly into my next question. So, you know, a big part of any reporter's job is kind of developing relationships with these sources that are relevant to their beat. So for me, I cover transportation. So that's a lot of safe streets advocates, transportation union leaders, everyday commuters, that kind of stuff. So what kind of sources have you been developing over the years and how does that kind of benefit you in your
2: reporting? Well, it's mainly attorneys, since it's a it's court and it's mostly criminal. But I do write uh, some civil cases. So it's a matter of, you know, uh, talking to the lawyers, um, you know, getting their contact information, developing kind of a, a trust and a bond with them that they know they can speak to you about things that, you know, if they tell you something off the record, they know you're not going to write it. So that's a big thing. Uh, also, some uh, you know, court personnel, just being um, friendly with them, just so sometimes if you have a question, hey, is this case going on today? Is that case going on today? They can tell you, yeah, this, this is happening. That's not happening today. So it's just a matter of and it, it, obviously, like anything else, it takes time to, to build up those relationships and and to get that uh, you know to to, to to get those contacts.
1: Yeah, and you know, for me. W- One of kind of the scarier things about covering courts is the fact that I'm not exactly well versed in like the legalese or the judicial process, all that kind of nitty gritty of it. So some of those court documents, I mean, just reading through those very dense, very tough to read, trying to make heads or tails of. So what was it like early on for you kind of learning all that stuff? And, uh, you know, for me, it it often feels a bit
2: daunting. Well, like I said, I had previously worked as an insurance investigation uh, investigator. I'm sorry. And we also did trial prep work. So what we did is a lot of, especially for defense firms. So what we did, I, I over the years, I read a lot of court documents in that capacity. So I kind of, I had an idea, especially with civil stuff, although that some of that stuff is incredibly complex. And then with the criminal stuff, even though before I did the court beat, I, I, I did a lot of criminal stuff too. And so you, you after a while you, you get the complaints and you read them and you understand. I, I mean, the other thing is just asking questions. A lot of times you go to a lawyer and say, hey, listen, or you go to the DEA's office and say, what is this? And what does it mean? And, you know, they'll, they'll tell you. I mean, they'll tell you whether you can put it on the record or off the record. Yeah. Um, but that's the big thing. It's you, you have to ask questions. You have to develop sources. And, and over time, you know, it helps. But it's like anything else. It's like baseball, too. Sometimes you, you learn a new thing. You can be doing this for 20 years. And you, something comes up you never even, you didn't know about it. And you learn something new. But again, it's the whole thing is asking questions. Going online, there's, there's resources online you can look up. So it's it's doing all those things that um, that really help. We'll be right
1: back. The Mayor of Maple Avenue is a powerful multi-part podcast about Sean Sinesi, a victim of former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky, who was arrested 10 years ago for numerous child sexual abuse charges. The podcast series is written and hosted by Pulitzer Prize winning reporter Sarah Gannam, who takes listeners into the world of addiction rehabilitation, where society can be quick to celebrate the consequences for abusers while not addressing the needs of their victims. Subscribe now to The Mayor of Maple Avenue wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and you know, something that all reporters uh, deal with in some way, shape, or form is is backlash on some of their stories from mm-hmm. community members who probably aren't thrilled with the way that they might be being presented publicly. And so I imagine those criticisms can be uh, c- kind of harsh for you when you're writing about you know things like court cases and convictions. So over the years, I'm curious, have you received any angry letters or emails from friends or families of the people that you write about? And, and how do you kind of handle those?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, <laughs> you get your share. They seem to come in bunch. Is, you know you go a long time without one and then all of a sudden you'll get a few in a row um it depends it depends on the tone of, of, of uh the email i mean some people some emails you just know that no matter what you say the person's not gonna not gonna be happy with what you say mm-hmm. and, and so it's like it's a venting thing i think a lot of times so i i just let them vent and i i won't respond sometimes if, if they're challenged challenging a factual thing that you wrote and you know you have this you have the document and you know what what's right you might write back and say hey listen this comes from a criminal complaint or this was said in court it's not like i made this up so it, it, it's it's that's kind of the way you know we handle like, we tried to handle it um, it's a difficult thing at the time and, and it's, it's understandable it's you know people have their friends their relatives out there they don't want to read they don't want to see stuff written about them that's bad but of course. unfortunately that's our job i mean the public wants to know Public has a right to know about these things, and so that's what we do. So, yeah, it's kind of part of the job. It's obviously not a one that you really relish, but you just have to kind of deal with it.
1: Yeah, and, you know, courtrooms can, you know, sometimes be kind of emotional and dramatic places, especially depending on what the case is. So I'm curious, what are some of kind of the most memorable experiences for you, anything that really stood out?
2: A lot of times, uh, you know, it's trials, but it's, a lot of times it's sentencing because uh, uh, there can be, depending on the case, they they can have a victim impact statement. So a a family member of the victim can speak or the victim uh, himself or herself can speak. Uh, And sometimes those are the most emotional and moving things. One thing that that I remember was, it had to be 15 years ago at least, there was a case where um, a young driver, I think a guy was in his 20s, he hit and and killed uh, a, a young boy who was maybe eight, and um, the, the victim's father gave an emotional statement, uh, victim impact statement, and then the defendant himself uh, gave an emotional because the defense are allowed to speak before their sentence. He gave an emotional statement where he apologized to the family, and the, the boy's father said to the to the defendant, "I forgive you." Wow. And it was it was. It, I, I, you know, it's it's hard to even control yourself when you when you hear that not to break down. But that was that was one of the, the more, uh, most emotional things I've seen. And like I said, and there have been others. Again, sentencing a very content can be very emotional, especially if it's a, it involves the death.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, before we go, I know that our colleague Kyle Lawson is slated to kind of take over your role as courts reporter uh, once you do retire. So I was wondering what kind of advice or, or training that you've been kind of giving him to try and prep him for that role.
2: Well, we've been we've been talking about it. He's going to shadow me this week in court. I, I mean, I think the most important thing uh, that would pertain to him and really to any reporter is be accurate, be fair, obviously write his a good a story as you can, and and you know, make contacts. Be be friendly with everyone down in court. And, I mean, you know, if if you're good to them, they'll be good to you. You know, if you need help with something, they'll help you out. I think that's that's really the best thing you can do. And be observant. That's the most probably the most important thing when you're in a courtroom is be observant. Keep your eyes, keep your ears open. There's a lot of things that go on. I mean, there's a lot of things you can't report about because it's off the record. But if you have your eyes and ears open, then you have it maybe give you a little more information, a little more background about the case that you don't know. And that'll help in your reporting. And I, I think that he'll, I think he'll be fine. Yeah. And he's certainly got big shoes to fill. But, you know,
1: thank you so much for joining me today, Frank. I appreciate you uh, coming on here before you ride off into the sunset. So uh, I hope you enjoy your retirement. Thank you. My pleasure, Eric. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit silive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.